I, I mean, 10 minutes is a lot. Like this year, I bet 10 minutes is probably like five to 10 places, depending yeah, on where I've you are. Yeah, but your rant about unbounding, you claim it's like an hour and a half faster if you do the whole thing in aero bars. <laughs> 20, well, you, can't, 20 you can't do the whole, like you can do right. the majority mm-hmm. of the unbound course in the aero bars. Yeah, you, you can't probably do can only do. Course. Yeah, you can probably only do 30 miles total of the Leadville course in yeah. aero bars. What up, party people? Just a quick intro today because the show actually went quite a bit longer than usual, and I want to get you all into the good stuff. Lots of mountain bike talk this week as we cover some of the Snowshoe World Cup racing, speculate about what might go down at Leadville next week, and get to a couple listener questions that were somewhat mountain bike related. Speaking of, next week we're going to do a Leadville preview show, and we'd love to answer any preliminary questions you have for Dylan and I. We'll both be taking to the start line, and if there's ever a race that gets people going, this is it. So bring the heat, people. Head over to the Insta Machine and slide into our DMs at Scott McGill Jr., Adam Saban 6, or Dylan Johnson. Oh, and if you have any guests that you want us to try and get on, you know, send those over ASAP so we can have our people reach out to their people. All right, that's enough for the intro. Let's get this Bong Pros party started. Scott, are you drinking a beer this time? No, it's only twelve thirty. <laughs> Never know, man. Twelve thirty. <laughs> <laughs> aren't you? Aren't you getting ready to convert over to Euro time? Yeah, it's got, it's got oh, yeah, yeah. I guess here. it's like what six thirty or something or seven thirty there. When when do you go to Portugal? Tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, you should start drinking a beer then. <laughs> I should like go to bed soon. <laughs> And yeah. wake up at like three in the morning. Start converting. What time? Do, what time do they race over there? Like, will you be in the morning or the afternoon? I couldn't tell you because you haven't found out yet, or like you can't read the schedule, or what? Uh, I haven't found a schedule. I'll just find out when I get there. Just, just like they do give what you're you a told. book. They give, they give you like a book when you show up to these races. Yeah, got all the stages, all the times, all everything, all the hotels. Yeah, the ra- race Bible. Yeah. So I just look at it when i get there there's nothing i can do about it right <laughs> i look at like the I weather I, there's something i can do about i can't do anything about the weather but i can prepare for the weather bring clothes mm-hmm. right clothes and stuff um look at the do stages you have to, do you have to fly with your bike or do they have like a race bike for you that they'll bring no i'll be flying with my bike hmm. so you that don't sucks. have a race bike i mean i have a race bike yes yeah, i just have it with me it's also your you training train, bike. You train on it too. Yeah, for, yeah. This year, so you, yeah. You just have a bike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a spare bike there. Oh, they'll bring a spare bike for you. Yeah, they'll be wait. Spare bike. What? <laughs> so, you got me all confused with. Do you like? So they're bringing a bike for you. You don't have to pack your bike. Oh, I think they left it in Turkey the last time we were there. They left a bunch of oh. shit over there, and then mm-hmm. this uh, the. Staff flew to Turkey, picked up the shit, flew to Romania, because mm. then the team's going to Romania after that. I'm going home, but the rest of the guys are going um, to Romania. So they're, I guess they're driving, but the staff then drove from Romania to Portugal. 
Mm-hmm. Just like pretty fucking far. Yeah, I guess that would have uh I guess that would have been a pretty quick turnaround if you had tried to do the World Cup, the Snowshoe World Cup this weekend, and then you had to go to Portugal. Yeah, and then after watching it, I'm so glad I didn't do it. it looked hard. Like because it was muddy? Because it was muddy and like my bike would be ruined. I would be like have crashed multiple times a hundred percent hundred percent I would have been covered in blood or something, broken something. <laughs> No way would me or my bike made it through that race without breaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like conditions looked pretty pretty horrible, uh especially for the XC race. I've only seen pictures. I haven't I haven't they haven't posted the recap yet, so Yeah, you could barely even there was so much fog like watching the live stream, you could barely mm-hmm. see the race. Yeah, I mean, that's what I remember from racing at Snowshoe. Like, it's on top of the mountain instead of at the bottom of the mountain, like a lot of ski resort races. So, you know, all the fog at the top of the mountain, you're just racing through that if it happens to be a foggy day versus if they had it at the bottom of the mountain. I mean, I don't know if conditions would have been better, but at the very least, visibility probably would have been better. I guess, but it could be nice there, too. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, Scott, you said you watched all the races, so I what? watched, uh, I wa- I think I watched the both short tracks. At least I mm-hmm. watched the recap of them. Um, yeah, dude, America is like crushing, yeah, crushing it in it. short track. <laughs> Wait, so Scott, so uh, you didn't watch the full short track for either the men's or the I watched women's? the men's. And then I think I, wa- I watched the recap of the women's. Okay. I just got on the the women's one, you should go back and watch the whole thing. It was pretty it crazy? pretty awesome. Yeah. I I like I knew the results before I even started watching it, so I was like just waiting for something to happen. What, and you got to wait a long time for something to happen. Dude, what so how far back did Gwendolyn Gibson start? She was clearly not So for those who don't know, Gwendolyn Gibson of the US won the women's race for the short track. Spoiler and alert. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're listening to this, hopefully you've already seen it. But um don't who cares about spoiler alert? It's like days. <laughs> if you don't if you care and you don't know. Yeah. Sure. It's your fault. So you dude, but she was like I mean, was she like back row or something? Because I, I don't even remember you know, seeing the coverage, I don't even or the recap, I don't even remember seeing her like at the front of the race for the first half. Oh no, she wasn't. Yeah, that. she wasn't near the front of the race. I don't know what her starting position was. She was a little harder to see because she's in like an all black kit. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. She didn't really stand out as much, uh, but she definitely wasn't near the front of the race or on the front of the race ever until basically hitting the pavement um, in the final like straightaway shoot. Yeah. So she 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 made up a fourteen second gap, or she she made fourteen seconds on. Uh, whoever um, was third, uh, which was, give me a second. Uh, yeah, Jenny Rizvitz was was leading for like a long time. She was out front for quite mm-hmm. a while. And then she kind of fell off on the last lap. And and Gwen like passed her maybe, maybe like a handful of seconds before the pavement. And then she was just like the strongest one to the finish up like that uphill straightaway shoot to the finish. Uh, yeah, she she won by two seconds, four seconds over Rizvets, 
but she was 10 seconds down on Jenny going into the last lap. Holy crap. That's and impressive. Ke- and Keller was in front of her too. So I think, I think Gwen was like fourth or fifth going into the last lap. It was super yeah. impressive. Wow. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Rizvitz just kind of smoked herself trying to go too early. Yeah. Oh yeah. She totally fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Gwen was the opposite. Like she looked super strong on that last lap. Uh, same with Keller. Like Keller was right there. Looked like Keller was going to catch Jenny on the last lap, but uh, she kind of blew up pretty early into the last lap. And then, yeah, I don't know, Gwen. Mm-hmm. There, there were like two, two big like main climbs. And up the first one, like Gwen didn't do anything. She, I think she maybe had passed Keller at that point. Was like moved up into the top three. Um, but then it wasn't until like the last climb before the straightaway shoot that she like really attacked and kind of rode away from the two girls that she was racing against. Yeah. Um, but yeah, killer performance by the women. So in the top 15, we had Gwen Gibson, uh, in first, then we had Kate Courtney in eighth, Sevilla Blanc in ninth, uh, Kelsey Urban in 12th and Haley Baden in 14th. So nice. What was that? Five five girls in the top fifteen. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I, uh, what were there four uh, four U.S. women in the top ten for the XC? Is that correct? Yeah, I, Dude, I think that's right. We're not there yet, man. Oh, should <laughs> should I wait? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not there yet, so I don't even know. I've got okay, to should we talk about <laughs> should we talk about the men's short track because it was it was U.S. again with Christopher Blevins. Taking the short yeah. track win. Yeah, and I mean, I I thought, so Scott, you watched the whole race. I, I thought this was exciting too, uh, but it wasn't quite as like nail-biting as the women's race. The women's race probably wouldn't have been as nail-biting if I didn't know the results going into it because it just looked mm-hmm. like Jenny Rizvids was going to ride away with it. Um, but I knew the results. So I knew something was going to happen. And then when I when I started watching the men's race, I knew Blevins had won. Uh, but it wasn't as exciting because like he was in the front group the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I always think it's so funny in these short track races with the announcers. Cause they, they always make it seem like if you're in like fifth to seventh place, you're like losing, you're like on the back foot. And they, like, they kept saying something like, Oh, Blevins is there, but he's not looking super strong today until like the last lap. And then they're like, Oh yeah. Blevins was just sitting in and saving his energy and waiting for his time to go. But they, yeah, it's like, like they, they always make it seem like the guy on the front is like the, the guy who's winning. It's like, no, that guy's losing right now. <laughs> it's like they don't, you know, they don't understand road tactics or something. It's like you ever watch, I mean, Avancini is such a strong short track racer, but I just don't think that he has his tactics down. Like he'll totally. just lead, he'll just lead the entire short track race while the entire men's field drafts off of him. Yep. And I really don't understand why somebody hasn't told him <laughs> that's not what you should do in a short track race. Yeah. Maybe he just doesn't listen. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, I'm sure some of these guys, like someone like him, like, you know, short track is still relatively new to the cross country uh, mm-hmm. World Cup scene. So, like, someone like him, I mean, he's just a purebred cross country racer. And that's a, oftentimes a lot of the tactic is just get to the front and ride super hard. But yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's, the tactics are completely different for short track racing. And I think Blevins is really proving that to be the, tr- the truth because. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, you know, short track world champion. Uh, he's yeah. won two short track world cups now. He's short track national champion. I mean, he's like, he's just honed the craft of short track tactics at this point. Uh, but he still hasn't won 
a World Cup yet. You know, like a, a cross country race. So it's not like he's winning on pure horsepower. No, he he's won, like definitely dude, winning he won on the, tactics. He won Snowshoe World Cup last year, man. I thought he won the short track last year. I think he no, he won. I'm pretty sure he won the cross country race. Uh, okay, maybe you're right. That, that's right. I but, think it, maybe you're right. He won. Yeah, he won the cross country at Snowshoe. He won last the cross country race at Snowshoe last year. I, that's right. I, I think that what works, it, what what Blevins, he's super smart. Like he's he's patient. He in a short track race, like he doesn't do anything until the last lap. And in that that when he won last year, the the cross country race, he also didn't do anything till the last lap. He was just kind of with that front group, and then probably with less less than half a lap to go in the race he's like all right time to make a move and he he looked like the freshest one in that group when he did that yeah well and he's got a ton of explosive power so he knows to Mm -hmm. save his energy to to be able to use that at the right time because if you if you uh you know if you blow your wad too early then all that explosive power goes away you know and you don't have that to your advantage anymore um, yeah. but he, he's like so smart too. Like he'll open up gaps before the descents, knowing he's just going to like ride his way back and onto the wheel, you know, like he's, he's doing things so much differently than a lot of the other guys. And he's, yeah, he's using it to his, his advantage. Mm-hmm. Did you know that I got second to Blevins at the 10 and under mountain bike national championships? <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's <awesome. laughs> sick. What, what year was that, man? Um, must have been two thousand seven or eight. Somewhere you were around under there. ten years old in two thousand eight. <laughs> I was born in ninety eight. So yeah, wow. I was okay. nine. So were yeah, there must have been two thousand eight, dude? I was. Were there any other uh, notable names in that race? Not that, that I remember, but I do now. know that the course was like three miles or something like that, and his mm-hmm. time was twelve minutes. <laughs> and I was second, and my time was twenty minutes. <laughs> nice! <laughs> wow! Were so you second out of two. Talented. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Still got to get my revenge one day. Where Where was that race? Vermont, uh, mm. Mount Snow, Vermont. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, apparently, so, uh, apparently we raced in like I don't know twenty twenty fourteen or twenty thirteen or something. I didn't even know who you were at like the Tuscarora Enduro or something. Maybe that was that was before Enduro was a discipline of mountain biking, and this yeah, race was, was just like, like long races. This was just like a four hour lap race, and they called it an Enduro Enduro like referring to the fact that it's an endurance race, but now enduro is like a discipline of mountain biking where you, you know, ride up the mountain to get timed on the descents. So, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, but, uh, yeah, back to the world cup. Um, yeah, I don't know. Blevins was super impressive. And then, I mean, if we want to move on to the XC race, uh, it seems like, what he 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 flatted in the race and still got fourth. Is that correct? Yeah. So it was him and um, Hatherley, maybe mm-hmm. the South yeah. African guy in the front, and it was just two of them with a gap. And then Hatherley crashed like pretty hard, and he was like maybe fifty seconds back after that. And then Blevins was out there by himself, and then he flatted. 
So like the top two yeah. guys, it looked like they were gonna do it Wait, out. So Blevins, Blevins was off the front solo at one point. Yeah, I, I haven't seen this one yet, so I, I didn't even know the results until just yeah. Now. Like the two, there were two front guys, and then oh. they both either cr- crashed and flatted, and then um, both had to come back. Mm. And Blevins was like, he came back so fast. He was almost a minute down, I, I believe, and came back. With in like one or two laps, wow. yeah, to the front, it was impressive. Yeah, but then he might have, yeah. you know, burned a few too many matches doing that. Right. Yeah. The, um, the course looked horrendous for the XC race too. It looked like an absolute mud fest. Dude, it looked so horrible, and you'd think the gaps would be huge, but the gaps were still like so small. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the gaps were pretty small. Something about that course, man. Like the. I felt like last year, so last year it was dry and it seemed like they were drafting off of each other. Um, it's like, I don't know, the climbing's not steep enough or something. Um, Cause usually when it's a mud race, it means that the time gaps are going to be huge. Yeah. Like eighth, eighth place was only 46 seconds back in the men's. Yeah. The women's yeah. Like, time gaps are a little versus. Better. Yeah. For in the women's um, let's see. Eighth place was four minutes and 40 seconds back. Yeah. Kate Courtney was 10th at five minutes and 22 back. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something about that course. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's the climbs aren't steep enough. I mean, we raced collegiate at Snowshoe, but I haven't ridden that World Cup course, which is obviously completely different. I don't know, Scott, have you ridden it? No, I've done the collegiate, though. Yeah. In the collegiate race there? I, I started like, I don't know, fourth or fifth row because collegiate, there's like a thousand people that do it. And we started and everyone else made a wrong turn off in the first <laughs> turn. And I was the first guy to realize we were going left instead of right. And then I, I took the whole shot from like the fourth row because I was just the first guy to realize we were going left. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and then went backwards. But. <laughs> It was muddy that year too, right? Yeah, it was snowing. Yeah. Yeah, Collegiate is in, like, Collegiate National Championships is always in October, right? So, and it's usually on a ski resort. So Yeah, why like don't they just move get... it to do, like, somewhere in the south? Like, last year it was in Durango yeah. or something like that, and it was snowing the whole time too. At everyone I did, it snowed at least once, like, during the weekend. Yeah, so just don't yeah. have it at a ski resort. Do it somewhere south. Yeah, it's already well. The reason they have it at a ski resort is because they've got you know they've got downhill racing, and you need a you need to do the downhill at a ski resort. True. Um, I mean, I think that they could probably you know maybe instead of having it in October, uh, have it a little bit earlier than that. Um, I know, I know that shortens the season. Or just go do it in like Arkansas. They've yeah, got downhill races there. Missouri got some mm-hmm. some decent downhills there. The downhill tracks in collegiate suck anyway, so you might as well make the nationals like a fake ass downhill track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think I think the nationals downhill is supposed to be a legit downhill. All right, so then you, you, they, you make everybody race on like shitty tracks and then show up to nationals and it's like <laughs> some gnarly track that nobody can like ride. <laughs> well, hopefully, the, hopefully the people that made it to nationals know how to yeah, ride. Yeah, that's downhill, true. But. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of, did you guys watch the downhill race at Snowshoe or not? 
I just watched the winning Bro, runs. This is too many races to watch. Like I got nothing <laughs> to do. <laughs> I just watch. I I want. I'll just watch the winning runs for the downhill because it's just impressive how fast they're going. Um, I don't. I don't. I can't do any sort of race breakdown because I didn't. I didn't follow the whole race. But was it gnarly? Like, wh- how was the track for them? I mean, yeah, it was muddy as well. It was muddy. It, it okay. looked. It actually looked worse for the XC race. Uh, well, the XC race, it like started raining. I think it started raining half. Like, I was already muddy, and then it started raining halfway through the women's race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then stopped like halfway through the men's race. Gotcha. So Which that's awesome. usually that usually is worse. Like once it starts raining during an XC race, you kind of hope it stays raining because once yeah, it stops and the mud like, starts yeah. to yeah it starts to dry up a little bit, it just cakes up like crazy. Yeah, I mean the so East Coast mud is not like um, I don't know Texas mud or Colorado mud or you know Midwest mud where it's you know clay and it just makes your bike fifty pounds and it's all caked up in your rear triangle and your wheel can hardly spin you can totally ride through east coast mud like it's not gonna you know it's not gonna stop your bike from working even once it starts drying up you're saying yeah Hmm. i mean it don't get me wrong it's a complete mess and your bike is trashed afterwards but it's not it's not like i mean i don't know if you went to marathon mountain bike national championships when it rained in texas Mm-hmm. where i mean it's just or or you know like mid-south when it rained or or yeah you know unbound when it rains it's like there's clay in the soil and it just like <laughs> the wheels on your bike can't even spin because your bike is so clogged with mud right that's not gonna right. happen on the east coast hmm. yeah like our, our trails here at home if if it's muddy at all but it like same thing like if it's raining it's okay. But once it starts to dry up, if it, if you, if it's muddy, you, you make it like 30 feet down the trail and your bike just stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's much else to talk about from the men's race that there, there were some other U S guys, but none of Should, them fared super well. Um, so I guess, the, I guess this is back to the short track, but did you guys see that Nino like crashed? Yeah. yeah dude, he fell off that bridge. Yeah. Do we know what his injuries are? I, I don't know. I think it sounded like he was like trying to be good for Mount St. Anne. Like he doesn't have anything broken or anything like that. Yeah, they, they, like they a mentioned his separated up. shoulder. Yeah, I don't. But that's not I a know, huge I saw, deal. I think he posted on Instagram. He's like, yeah, I decided to sit it out. Like he could, probably could have raced. But at, okay. given the conditions were so shit too, like the chances of crashing again, pretty high. I, yeah. Is Mount St. Anne next weekend? Yeah, it's next weekend. Yeah, yeah, and they were they were saying on the broadcast that the Mount Beatrice feature is not in it anymore. Oh, what? really? Why not? Is that like the hard part? Yeah, like the super techie, like rocky, chunky downhill. Yeah, the one where you always see pictures of people going over the bars. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't. I didn't catch exactly what they were saying, but they said something about how they were they were sad because Mount Beatrice wasn't going to be part of the World Cup race anymore that's lame that's lame yeah, I don't, so i don't i don't know why it's like supposed to be the hardest track right yeah that's stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so so here's a here's a question for you guys so we, we talked about this a little bit last week uh after keegan went on a tear and and like exploded the uh, xc race at nationals 
Mm-hmm. What do you guys think Keegan would have done if he was at uh, Snowshoe this weekend? Uh, something miraculous, man. I mean, I bet you it would have finished between 10th and 20th. You think so? Because he probably would have started towards the back. Because he couldn't do the uh, short track. You're right. You're right. You're right. He would have started towards the back. You don't think he would have had enough points to get into the short track race? I don't think so. But I I don't know. I don't know anything about that. So, Dude, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised with a top 10. I wouldn't be surprised with a top 5. And with how... I mean, dude... Blevins just won a World Cup short track, and literally a week earlier, Keegan beat him by a minute and a half in an XC race. Yeah. Like, and, and it was the national championship. It's not like it was an XC race that Blevins didn't care about, right? Like, yeah. He, he would, he wants to be in the Stars and Stripes jersey for World Cups. So, like, there is motivation there. Yeah, 100%. I, dude, Keegan, Keegan needs to go back to World Cup racing. Um, I think I, you know, I don't know for whatever reason when he was racing world cups, you know, when he was trying to make his name in world cup racing, I think he just didn't quite have the fitness to get top results. I totally think he has the fitness to get top results now. So, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, it could, it could be the case too, that he's actually physiologically better at longer races which is why when he gets into these longer lifetime races, he just completely destroys everyone. Yeah, but then, um, he, but, but he wasn't even training for yeah. or for cross country nets, and he, I mean, yeah, he probably exactly. would have won the short track race too. I mean, maybe Blevins could have gotten him in a sprint, but if Keegan didn't flat out, like he was going to be there till the finish line. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I don't know, man. Keegan Keegan needs to try his hand at World Cup racing again. Yeah, yeah I, the, I was just surprised he didn't go. Like, it, it wouldn't yeah. be that much travel for him to have just gone to Snowshoe. Uh, and it was still yeah. like 6,000 feet there, they were saying on, on the broadcast or whatever, 5,000 feet. So it's not like taking five days at a little bit lower altitude would have made a huge difference for his Leadville training. Dude, he's going to smash Leadville regardless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, I, dude... People are talking about whether or not. So the course record at Leadville is just under six hours. It was five fifty-eight something, set by Alvin Licata. I think in twenty sixteen, maybe I could something be like that. Yeah, year, getting the year wrong. So the year that uh, Alvin Licata did that, he had the whole Topeak Oregon team working for him. So that's when Jeremiah Bishop was at like peak endurance shape not peak xc shape like peak endurance shape i think that was the same year that jeremiah broke the shenandoah 100 course record as well um and 2015 uh, it says 2015 okay so well you gotta i mean alvin lakata was literally multiple time marathon world champion and um and had a team working for him to get that sub six hour finish. People are talking about uh, Keegan potentially doing a sub six hour finish this year, since it's there's going to be so many good riders with the lifetime series. Um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit skeptical of that, just because I don't I don't know that Keegan right now is as fit as Alvin Lakata in 2015. And then, of course, there's the fact that Alvin Licata had a, a team working for him. 
Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. You know, back in 2015, he would have had a team, but the lead group was probably only eight guys maybe or something like that, you know, for, for sure. majority of the race. And then who knows after Columbine, I don't, I don't remember. I, I don't know if, you know, if that dwindled down to just his teammates or something. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember looking up just a week or two ago, uh, Columbine times on Strava. And I'd seen that that year, uh, Lakata and I can't remember who his other teammate was. It wasn't Christian um, Heineck. Yeah. Heineck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they they like dropped their other teammates by thirty to sixty seconds up Columbine. I'm guessing mm-hmm. they probably all regrouped on the descent, but um, it didn't seem like there was anyone else that would have stayed with that group. So there was probably only four or five of them that came together for the second half of the race. Sure, and that could be different this year. You know, it could still be ten guys all together at the bottom of Columbine. Uh, sure, sure, yeah. So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting to think about. Um, at the same time though, that year, I mean, they set out, they built a whole team and program around trying to go sub six hours at Leadville, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, so their, their goal was obviously to win, but they, their, their, their primary goal was to break the course record of six hours or, you know, go under six hours. So mm-hmm. this year, everyone in the front, their goal is just going to be to win individually. So like, maybe they're not going to be as motivated to do as much time on the front or trying to, you know, keep the group rolling as fast, uh, yep. as they would have been back then. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that year that, that 2015 year, uh, Lica- I don't think Lakata and Heineck had arrow bars, but Jeremiah Bishop had arrow bars and he was basically the domestique for the race, right? He was the guy sitting on the front in the flat sections in the arrow bars. Yep. Colin. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what the arrow bar situation is going to be at Leadville this year. Have you gotten like, any emails yet? I've not. Well, <laughs> dude, there's so much more drama around arrow bars at Unbound um, than there is at any other race. So I haven't gotten any emails yet. So, uh, so arrow bars at a mountain bike race, totally cool. Arrow bars at a 200 mile gravel race, <laughs> n- no go. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> if I anything. Mean, I, the, if anything, the arrow bars are going to be way more dangerous on a mountain bike because your bars are sticking out so much farther. But then, like, when you're in the mm-hmm. arrow bars, you don't, like, realize – you know what I mean? So you're, you're going to, like, clip people with your handlebars and then – Well, hopefully you're not going to be, like, drafting <laughs> off of people in the arrow bars. Yeah, but that's the whole debate with the arrow bars is that people use them irresponsibly. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so people should be even more pissed going into Leadville about the arrow bars. I, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll see if there's any drama about it. I think there's going to be less drama because there's going to be less people using arrow bars. Cause it's a mountain bike race. People don't even think about using arrow bars in a mountain bike race, even though it's been done like Todd Wells won one year using arrow bars. Um, and like last year, Keegan, he didn't have arrow bars, but he had, it looked like bar ends, but on the inside of his bars, you know what I mean? So there's not yeah. really arrow bars, but, um, do, I don't do know. People, I, do people ever just like put like padding on their bars So it's more yeah. comfortable if you just put your elbows on there. Yeah. Yeah. People. Yeah. People that's totally super common. That. Yeah. Okay. Which I, I don't know if you're going to do that, why not just do bar end extensions so you can actually like have some control over your bike. Yeah. I, uh, 
I pre-rode the course this weekend and I pre-rode the course before that too. So I've actually ridden the course like twice now. And I hope that I don't have any lifetime competitors listening to this because I think that the difference between they are, (laughs) I don't, I don't think they are either, man. I don't think they watch my YouTube videos. Dude, high, I don't high even level, watch your YouTube video. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, dude. High level racers, they don't like seek out like cycling content on the internet because they feel like they already know all of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'm I'm my estimate, and you know, we're not gonna be able to test this, but like my estimate is that arrow bars on the Leadville, on the entire Leadville course is 10 minutes faster. Than not having them. Well, there's not a ton. I I mean, 10 minutes is a lot. Like this year, I bet 10 minutes is probably like five to 10 places, depending on where you are. Yeah, but I've heard your rant about unbounding. You claim it's like an hour and a half faster if you do the whole thing in arrow bars. (laughs) You can't can't do the whole, like you can do the majority Mm -hmm. of the unbound course in the arrow bars. Yeah, you You can't do the majority course. Yeah, you can probably only do. 30 miles total of the Leadville course and yeah. bars. And and you do have to keep in mind with Leadville too, um, that there's a ton of climbing and aero bars obviously add weight to your bike. Uh, so, you know, there, there's trade-offs, right? Would you ever run a narrower mountain bike handlebar for Leadville? Hmm. Like, kind of, could, you know, yeah. like you could do a drop bar bike, like a drop bar <laughs> mountain bike. But you could just yeah. run narrow. I feel like that would almost be like a good compromise between the two. Yeah. Now you're thinking, man. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. I'm so not used to running narrow handlebars on a mountain bike. I don't I don't think I'm going to, but I did think about putting drop bars on my hardtail. Um like I've got SRAM axis, so all I'd need was would be SRAM axis road shifters and it would totally work. Uh and run and and this is before I pre-rode the course, and I was like, maybe it'd be faster if I had drop bars on a mountain bike. Um, I pre-rode the course, and I mean, there are probably people that are just as good at descending on drop bars as they are on flat bars, but I'm not one of those people. I, I'm I would definitely lose more time on the descents than I'd be making up anywhere else, especially with the fact that I'm already going to have arrow bars on my bike, so. Like if I'm on a section where aerodynamics really matters, I'm going to be in the the aero bars anyway. Yeah. Right. Are are drop bars lighter than mountain bike handlebars, or are they about the same? Not usually. They're no, usually I'd say heavier. They're heavier. Oh, okay. Because you don't you don't think about it, but if you actually like measure the entire length through like yeah, the it's a lot of section, material. it's actually probably more material. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like at my my carbon mountain bike bars, they're like 720 mil uh with uh they're they're like 130 grams wow what kind of bars do you have bontrager like the triple x mm. bontrager ones they're super so, light yeah um, so so dylan so are you are you 100 in on the aero bar game then for leadville yeah it was never a question i was never yeah. i was never not 100 percent in well, you, I was you never were, even you, like your bike didn't have him on the other day when you posted your picture about it. So I don't know if she was just... <laughs> he's not going to put yeah, that on dude. I don't, dude. I don't want. I don't want my competitors seeing that I have arrow bars on my bike and then them having ideas like, "Oh, do I need arrow bars?" I actually want them to not run arrow bars. Is that why you didn't have road pedals on either? 
yeah, I didn't have road pedals, didn't have, you know, my, my, uh, e-bike motor in the bottom bracket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, str- dude, straight up. So like, I'll, I actually think about this. Um, if, if there's something on my bike that I think is going to be a significant advantage that people don't really know about, specifically people that I'm in direct competition to, I won't really post about it until after the race. The arrow bars thing is a perfect example, right? Cause I, I think there are a lot of people in the lifetime series that are just like, Oh, Leadville's a mountain bike race. Just run my normal mountain bike. And the more like, you know, probably at this point, not a lot of the lifetime competitors care about what I'm doing because I'm in like 15th place. But if enough lifetime competitors like post pictures of their mountain bike with arrow bars, it's like you've lost your advantage because everybody has arrow bars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. So, yeah, no, I'm not going to post about the arrow bar. I'll post about the arrow bars after the race if the race goes well, I guess. <laughs> I, I thought it was smart that you didn't post your bike with uh, road pedals. Yeah, that's, that's like, wow, if Dylan Johnson thinks he might have to get off his bike and walk, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> People talk about that, like, oh, well, you know, you can like walk on road cleats. Like, it's really not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. I will say that yeah, but you can so break I, a road cleat though. One of my road cleats anything. broke. Not, you're not going to break an SPD p- clip. Yeah, it is definitely harder. <laughs> I will. I will say. I will say that if you if you get dirt in most yeah. road cleats, it's really hard to clip back in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you're you walking, stop if it's like, and, like muddy, but if it's dry. And you're not, I think I, I think I'm gonna run. I think I'm gonna run my Shimano road shoes with Shimano road cleats and uh, Dura Ace pedals for the race. Yeah, so full road setup. Yeah, Keegan. I'm pretty sure what Keegan's doing is he's doing what I've done in the past, where he's running the Crank Brothers Egg Beater pedals, which are super light, and then he's running the he's running a Giro Lace Up Road Shoe, which is super light, and then he's running the Three Hole cleat adapter i'm pretty sure that's what he's doing mm-hmm. dude those those the crank brothers pedals i was using them for cross like at the beginning of the cross season last year they were pretty bad like i could not clip in i like i yeah. that i lost positions in races because like so shit at clipping in i mean yes crank brothers pedals in general the durability sucks i don't some people like like clipping into Crank Brothers pedals. I'm not a fan of it. I think, I think the they're kind of vague. Like you, you can't tell when you're clipped in. Like SMB yeah. pedals, you just like it's like you know it's like a hard. It's clip. a really really yeah. yeah no, really I, solid I switched clip. to Shimano midway through the season. And it was like night and day. It was so I much know. better. Yeah, yeah. I people people have asked me like, why do you use Crank Brothers pedals? The only reason is because of how light they are. The Crank Brothers. Uh, like the gold ones, the 11s uh, with the tie spindle are so much lighter than the than the XTR pedals. Like they're probably close to half the weight. Dylan, are you are you um, like is your are you like considering anything else with your bike set up yet for Leadville? Are you pretty set? Uh, so hardtail. I'm gonna run a dropper post just because I don't even know how to ride a mountain bike without a dropper post at this point. Hmm. And also, the Fox Transfer SL is like 
150 grams heavier than the straight post that I have, which is like nothing. Um, like literally if I ride, if I ride a mountain bike with a straight post, it's like, I have to relearn how to turn my bike. Well, maybe you should just do that. <laughs> It'll save 150 grams. It's called practicing. I, which, like, what, like, are you going to like, where, like, where like, what? what part on the course do you need to like lean your bike over that much that your seat post is going to get in the way? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of cornering, but there's, you know, the power line descent is, is probably the gnarliest descent on the course. I would say coming down Columbine, you have your seat down almost the entire time. And there's also plenty of, there are plenty of sections where having your seat down is making you more aerodynamic and you don't have to do a super tuck. Right. Mm. So do a super tuck. Is there any downside to that? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's not a UCI race. <laughs> I, dude, honestly, I just, I, it, I'm just more comfortable with the dropper post at this point. Like, it's been so long since I've ridden a straight post, and I don't, I'm not. I, I mean, honestly, just getting on a hard. This is like the first time I've ridden a hardtail in four or five years, and it took me like a week or two just to like get used to that. I was like, this bike feels way different um so doesn't it make you not want to ride a hardtail anymore well now that i'm used to it i actually don't like it's not bad uh unless it gets really chunky but yeah yeah but it just makes you appreciate the full suspension like full oh yeah so good oh yeah for sure would you Uh, what's your setup hold on i got a question all okay. right. <laughs> so you know how you, you don't want to post anything with your bike setup? Would you ever specifically post something with a bad bike setup? Oh, dude. This is what <laughs> Jeremiah does. Jeremiah is such so sneaky, man. <laughs> so Jeremiah Bishop, um, you know, he one year before the Shenandoah 100, uh, Eddie Anderson was going to do Shenandoah, and Eddie Anderson you know, um, super strong climber and was probably going to beat Jeremiah and spoiler alert (laughs) for a race that happened like three years ago at this point, Eddie Anderson won, but he, Jeremiah was trying to get in Eddie's head and he, I, a full suspension is for sure the faster bike at Shenandoah. There's, there's a lot of gravel road and a lot of climbing, but the descents are really rough. And in fact, the course record that Jeremiah holds his bike setup was full suspension, dropper post arrow bars, Hmm. like, like the heaviest bike setup, right? Like the dropper post, the arrow bars, the full suspension, but it's like, you need all of that in order to go fast on the Shenandoah course. Um, anyway, so he posted a picture of his hardtail straight post on Instagram and said, something like getting my getting my bike set up dialed for Shenandoah this weekend. And this was like three days before the race. <laughs> right. And then, and then on the starting line of the race, he shows up, not only is he on his full suspension, but instead of the Fox 32 hundred millimeter travel, he's running the Fox 34 120 millimeter travel. And, uh, I don't think he had arrow bars on. I think he just had his bars wrapped. And I think, I think if you were to ask him what his strategy was like, he was going to try to drop Eddie on a downhill. It didn't end up happening. Eddie did, ended wait, up. So winning, was it, but, did Eddie show up on a hardtail? 
Now, Eddie only has one mountain bike. Like, he okay. showed up on the Maybe, mountain. like, try that three months before I like, three days. <laughs> like, I can like, actually get another bike. Like, Eddie only had a cross-country full suspension, so that's what he used. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's trying to psych people out. So, would I ever do that? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I I could easily see doing that for a gravel race where like maybe it's a super chunky course and I'll post something like, yeah, running these 32 mil road tires and hopefully some people think that's the right tire setup and then they're just totally get screwed. Or even better, you could like make a YouTube video. Now you wouldn't do that (laughs) about your YouTube channel, but about like how like tire inserts are like the worst thing ever or something. Or something like I, that. Yeah, like, I don't. Like I don't give up like such a disadvantage, <laughs> and then run tire inserts, and then nobody else will run them, and everyone will flat. Yeah, you know what I. You know what I need to do is make a YouTube video about how those Tannis uh, inserts are like the best <laughs> thing ever because you'll never flat. For those of you who don't know, these Tannis. Have we talked about the Tannis inserts? Yeah, we yeah, talked about it because I got the Tannis ones, but I have the right. The, <laughs> yeah, the normal well, ones. Like, so if you, sure, if you have the ones that are tubeless, it's just like a regular insert. But if you have the ones that you have to put a tube in that go around the inside of your tire and basically stop punctures from happening, like if you get a thorn in your tire, it'll just hit the insert instead of hitting the tube. Right. I hope I'm explaining that right. If you're confused about what this looks like, just look up Tannis insert on Google and you'll immediately see a picture of what I'm talking about. But they add so much rolling resistance to your bike. Um, And I like I calculated that over the course of Unbound, it might be like an hour lost running these inserts. Yeah, but with the aero bars, it's like a wash. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think they could make up for the aero bars. (laughs) But yeah, Adam, what uh, what's your bike setup look like? Yeah, so I I went back and forth with the hardtail and the full suspension quite a bit actually. Um, like in my yeah. mind, it's it's a hardtail course. Like, in, I'm like, I know that it'd be fine on a hardtail, uh, but it's like, would I would I feel fresher at the power mm-hmm. line climb if I was on a full suspension and like be able to ride that faster because of that? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I was like. You know, I've got the hardtail. Just gonna go for it. Um, so I'm gonna run the hardtail. It's a, uh, I don't know, specialized epic hardtail mm-hmm. uh, with a one 100 mil fork. Um, I've got arrow bars on there right now, but I've only done one ride with those, so I'm not super comfortable with them yet. I gotta like mm-hmm. do a little more training with those. I'm gonna get out for a ride today and try it again. I think I'll have them on there. Like my mind. It, if I don't have the arrow bars, I'm probably going to do the puppy dog thing, which is mm-hmm. worse. So it's like, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just have the arrow bars on there. I think they're only like 200 some grams. So it's not like a huge weight, weight loss or anything. Yeah. Um, uh, high post. Cause I, I like, I'm the opposite of you. Like I rarely ever ride a dropper. So really? I'm just more comfortable on the high post most of the time. Hmm. Like, I don't even really know how to corner super well with a dropper post. Other than just like letting the bike do whatever it wants to, I guess. Um, but I can't like I don't know I don't I don't feel like I unless it's like a long chunky like technical descent. Um, like if it's just flowy and fast, I I just keep the post up anyways. Mm-hmm. We got a uh, listener question about this. Should I read it out? 
No, dude, do let it. me finish, man. <laughs> All right. Well, it has to do with it has to do with your <laughs> the dropper post. All right, yeah. Let's let Adam finish his right. bike. All right, all right, uh, all right, all right. So, so I think I think the biggest thing is that I kind of went back and forth with was tires. Actually, so I was either going to do the full suspension with smaller tires or the hardtail mm-hmm. with bigger tires. Was kind of like what I was thinking. And then, like when I set on the hardtail, I was like, well, maybe I'll still do the small tires, but I'm just going to run the bigger tires. So I'm going to do the Aspen 2.4s and yeah. I think that's where I'll get a little bit more compliance out of it. And I don't think the rolling resistance is really any different. Uh, in my mind, the only thing it would matter for is if it was like muddy and like tire clearance and stuff. So I think I'll bring a backup set of wheels with the smaller ones just in case we show up on race day and it's like going to be super muddy. Uh, Cause I don't think my bike would even clear the 2.4s if it was all caked up. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, so people, I, I had heard like obvious hardtail course, like there's no question, definitely hardtail course. And after riding it, I don't think it's that obvious a choice. I mean, I'm still going to go with the hardtail, but it's pretty bumpy. And, um, you know, I mean, so we're talking about like a two to three pound weight difference, depending on what hardtail you're comparing to what full suspension. (sighs) I, I'm going to go with a hardtail, but I don't think it's as obvious a choice as people make it out to be. Yeah, I agree. Like people will, will, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, talk smack about Leadville and say, it's not like a real mountain bike course. And like, Oh, you could do that on a gravel bike. And it's like, yeah, I I did ride it on a gravel bike last year, like during a Mm pre-ride, but it wasn't faster. Like there were some sections that were faster on the pavement and like some of the super smooth gravel roads, but like when I was trying to descend down Sugarloaf Road or whatever, the, the, the descent off Sugarloaf, uh, I was like having to barely move. I mean, it was going like 10 miles an hour where you could easily just rip that at 30 miles an hour on a mountain bike. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you, so, c- you could do like any mountain bike race on a gravel bike technically, but like for sure, would you want, would you want to and would it be faster? Hey, dude, <laughs> right. I rode my cross bike down middle black. Sounds awful. Yeah, but you didn't. But probably, did you didn't get the calm. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, um, and then yeah, I think that's it. I, I haven't decided on the road pedals or the mountain bike pedals yet. I'd prefer to run the road pedals, but um, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. Okay, cool. And a 34 tooth chain ring. That was also like a super hard decision, but I had to just commit to it. I think I'm going to do 36. Yeah, I mean that's what I that's what I would expect and like that's what I wanted to do, but I just like Dude. I feel like I'll lose more time if I'm having to like grind up the climb in my yeah. 3650 versus like being able to be more efficient or or faster in the flats with the 36. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm planning between my aero socks, my aero helmet, my TT skin suit, my aero bars uh, I'm planning to be the fastest on the flat sections in this race <laughs> and nowhere else. <laughs> I mean, you'll ride it. I mean, you can ride everything in the 36. Like that's not, that's not the problem, but if it's like, you can ride it, but your ca- like my cadence is going to be lower than I would like it to be going for sure. Power line. You know? Exactly. Yeah. All right, Scott, let's, let's hear this, uh, dropper post question. All right. 
This guy asks, should I put a dropper seat post on a hardtail for XC racing? My bike has a 27.2 millimeter seat post. Considering the Fox Transfer SL, but it only has 70 millimeters of drop in that size, is it still worth it? I And I, my bike also has a 27.2, and I was also debating which one to get. And I ended up going with another one that was 125 mills of drop and i kind of regret my decision because because it's too much it's yeah it's just like not like i like sometimes when i was riding like when i was pre-riding um that race in canada i would like drop it half by accident like where Mm -hmm. you're coming into a trail and like you didn't sit all the way down to drop it all the way and it was like fine yeah so 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 i think that's an important distinction like some of the dropper posts they only have two positions like you you either have to drop it all the way down or you have to ride it all the way up so you know like you got the right one at least scott where like it doesn't matter you just drop it to wherever is comfortable yeah um but i don't know i mean 125 a drop that seems like a lot for you scott like i don't know how tall you are five ten yeah five, nine yeah scott's got really short legs too Probably like half his inseam. But yeah, 125 mil does seem like a lot, but at least, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, you can you can drop it however low you want since you got the multi-position yes, or infinite like position. If 70 mils is enough, then I should have just gone with the lighter post because it's significantly lighter. Oh, it is? The Fox one. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so the uh, if he's, here's what I'll say. I Adam probably has a different answer to this based off what he just said about his uh, Leadville bike setup. I would not ride a mountain bike without a dropper post at this point. <laughs> like I don't, I don't care if it's a, an easy course where I'll, I don't have to use it that much. Like I just, I'll just and the Fox. So if he's talking about the 70 millimeter Fox transfer SL in 27.2, that post is so light. We're probably talking about a hundred to 120 gram difference between that and a normal seat post. It's so minimal. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how much mine is, but I know it's, it's at least, it's at least a hundred grams more than the Fox. At least what, what I will say. So, I mean, if we're going back to Leadville, just as an example, real quick, Adam, Adam might disagree with this, but I actually think that by having the dropper post on my bike, I will make more time up on the descents than I will gain on the climbs by having a, a slightly lighter seat post. Like if I if I lose if I lose five seconds on a climb, I think I'll make up ten seconds on the descent by having the dropper post. Personally, even even with the descents not being very technical. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I. I can see that for sure. Um, so my my dropper post, I've got the Axis one, and it's it's exactly one pound heavier. Yeah, you don't want that, which one. is a lot. So I mean, <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, I don't I don't know that a pound of extra weight is worth it. Yeah. Um, and and I just I don't live in an area where we have super long technical descents, so I just like never get sure. a chance to practice with it. If I still lived in the Front Range or like out by you guys and or you and Brevard, and I used it way more, then that'd be a different story probably. Um, it's more so just like what I'm comfortable riding with. I think that if you know how to use dropper post, it's it's night and day faster. I mean, like that's why every cross-country racer now, for the most part, Blevins still doesn't use a dropper a lot of the times. But um, most of the time, yeah. though, those, those guys in the World Cups are racing with droppers. Uh, and those races are a lot, a lot of times... Uh, 
you know, one on the climbs, but they can be also lost on the descents. So like those guys are clearly making a sacrifice on the climbs to be able to rip the descents a little faster. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. I think, I think if this guy, if he only has a hardtail and he's racing cross country on it, I 100% he should have a dropper post on that bike. Yeah. And yeah. if it's the, fo- if it's the Fox transfer SL, you're base, you're, you're barely giving up anything. Um, in my opinion. Now I yeah. will say that it's not like you get on a dropper post and you just automatically can descend faster. You got to learn how to ride with a dropper post. Like it sounds like Adam, you haven't even, you haven't learned how to ride with a dropper post yet. Uh, but I think that once you learn how to ride with a dropper post, you're going to be significantly faster on the descents. And something I've noticed is you got to like, yeah, I mean, you got to remember to put it back up quickly after you come out of a section of trail, especially in like an XC race where you might be coming in and out of like sections. Mm-hmm. You got to like re- remember to, to raise it, right? It's like a skill almost. Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. For sure. Um, so I, I'm going to just put this as another advantage of the dropper post for cross country racing, and that's XC starts. Uh, I think it's a huge advantage to have a dropper post for the start because you can start sitting in your saddle with your foot flat on the ground. You're not having to like be standing in front of the saddle or like on your saddle, but teeter tottering on your tippy toes. Uh, like th- that's something I, whenever I've raced cross country and I've had a dropper post, I like love that, mm-hmm. uh, being able to drop the post like an inch and then you can like stand flat footed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Huh. I've never done that. I've also only done like two mountain bike races this year. There well. you go. Pro tip yeah. for next time. <laughs> what well, one thing I have noticed with mine, I think it's one twenty five mil drop, is that when I drop it, it's like when I'm descending, the seat is like banging against my knees. Mm. It kinda hurt like it's not comfortable. Whereas if you only had a seventy, it'd be like on your more on your thigh where it's softer. Yeah. Dude, so we're so we're a bunch of cross country nerds talking about how 125 mil is a lot of drop. <laughs> if you talk to Enduro Bros, that's short. Like there, oh, yeah. I, I I have friends who like when uh, whatever company that makes it came out with a 200 millimeter dropper, they were like the first person to buy it. Like, who, they were Rutland? so yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you'd ride with this guy. He's like what? What is he like six six or something? Huge. Yeah. And he'd stop at the top of the trail. And like drop his post and then also undo his C clamp and drop the dropper as well. <laughs> so it's even yeah. more drop. I mean, it was probably by the time he drops it that low, it's probably like 250 mils of drop. Like, <laughs> that's an example of like why kids riding should just not, like learn. You got to learn to ride with a high post first because mm-hmm. he can't oh, no, even see, ride. See, I think it's the opposite. I think dropper posts are <laughs> never going away. Like there, you know, almost every mom bike you buy today comes with a dropper post. So like if, if dropper posts are going to be part of standard equipment, I think the sooner you can learn to descend with a dropper post down, the better off you're going to be. So yeah. what, what did you make of, uh, uh, what is his name? Mahorich who won, um, Milan San Remo with the dropper on the road bike. I I don't know. I mean, do you, I think, th- do you think that ro- do you think road bikes are ever gonna have like do you think roadies are ever gonna be like huh like this is a dropper post course like mountain bikers do? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, 
it's so, like so like still three years kind ago, of an argument on the mountain bike, right? Like we're, sure, we just talked sure. about it for like twenty minutes. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, but it's I, th- I think it's different though because in the on the mountain bike, like you don't. Well, I mean, Dylan talked about in Leadville, like he might drop it to get more aero. But in in the road bike, like the only reason you're dropping it, it's not because it's like technical. You're dropping it so you can go faster, like get more aero. Yeah, and um, I mean the thing about it is, you know, so the UCI has banned the super tuck, and right. basically having a dropper post on your road bike is a way of legally super tucking. Yeah. So so like yeah. three years ago, I, I I was listening to the uh, uh, Lance Armstrong's like Tour de France podcast, and they were talking about the super tuck because it was like one of the first years that the the super tuck was super common. And they were talking about how dangerous it was and like, oh, the UCI needs to ban this position or whatever. And I wrote in a, I wrote in like a comment or question or whatever. And I was like, Hey guys, what if the solution is dropper posts on road bikes? Like you can still super tuck, but you can be in your saddle. You don't have to worry about like the saddle snag in the back of your pocket or anything. (laughs) And Lance Armstrong commented and he's like, Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. There'll never be a day where road, road bikes have dropper posts. And then, like, sure enough, a dude friggin' wins a race this year on a dropper post. And Lance Armstrong was like, oh, yeah, we talked about this a few years ago. Like, I knew that dropper posts were going to be part of, you know, commonplace <laughs> in road biking. I was like, bro, like, that's exactly what I said. And you were, like, going against what I was saying. It was uh, – but uh, – I Dude, I'm not going to lie. I thought that was so badass that he did that. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, that's actually I, one I of think, my favorite. I think it makes more sense, too, for, like, like you know, there was a couple stages this – uh, this year and it happens all the time where like the leader crashes out so he gets on someone else's bike and like the seat's in the mm-hmm. wrong position yeah that's what i was gonna say to have your yeah. your whatever guy is closest to your fit like get a dropper yeah. post to be exactly your s- saddle height um, yeah yeah i, I honestly one of, one of my favorite things in cycling is when somebody thinks outside of the box and it works for them like whether that's with equipment or tactics or whatever like yeah, they yeah. were they were they outsmarted they weren't stronger than their competition they outsmarted their competition um, also with San Remo though like i don't think he won because of the dropper post necessarily he's all, one he's a yeah. phenomenal bike rider right he's yeah. one of the best yeah, riders yeah. in the world and two if you watch the descent like after every corner he's coming right up on the motorbike and then the motorbike's ex- like he was mm-hmm. descending faster than the motorbike. So the motorbike was dragging him out of every turn. Yeah. So he was getting extra speed that way also. Um, so, so it's probably so a combination think, of the, that. but he was having to slow down cause of the motorbike too though. Right. Um, maybe a little bit, but I don't think it, especially like coming off the bottom of the descent, like the motorbikes oh, yeah. play a huge yeah. role in these races. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I did. I did hear people talking about how like he only won because because of the motorbike. Well, you can't say that because he won because he attacked at the right time, right? True. Like, but had the motorbike not been there, would he have won? No, no one knows. You right. could say that about every about every scenario. I mean, yeah, sure. Had the guy in the back his- not pulled a little harder, he wouldn't have won. Like, yeah, right. right. Sure, sure. So it's probably a combination of all those things. But the dropper post might might have played a role in it. I don't. Yeah, I mean the guy's a phenomenal descender without a dropper post. So yeah, I, I just wonder like what are what are road bike companies going to do though? Because they've spent so much like money and time developing these like super aero seat tubes, mm-hmm. and now the guys want to want to run dropper posts. I mean, what do you? Well, I wouldn't they, say they the guys want to run dropper posts. Like one guy won one race on dropper posts, but yeah. 
Some of them probably um, want to after that, but they couldn't because sure. their bike bike didn't have a dropper post capable. Like yeah, CG. but also roadies are like super on, in general. It's not everybody, but are super like against. I wouldn't say against innovation, but like less I, I, likely yeah. to super traditional. Yeah, the, yeah. Fa- the fact that every single roadie is not currently wearing aero socks it just blows my <laughs> mind. It's just like, why? What are you doing? Dude, I don't wear um, aero socks. So I don't have any. Well, freaking get some, dude. <laughs> are you taking this seriously or not? <laughs> I guess not. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, dude. So, so if. <laughs> If bikes were pushing right up against the UCI weight limit right now, and it's like we need to add weight to the bike just to make it legal, yeah. I'd be like, throw a dropper post on there, so that way at least you've, you know, if it's the same weight, then at least you've got some advantage on some part of the course. The thing is, though, the current crop of bikes are pretty like they're usually like a pound heavier than the UCI weight limit. Like they're actually not right up up against the weight limit. So adding a dropper post to the bike would be adding weight to the bike. You yeah, know? but they're yeah, bikes are getting heavier, not lighter in general. Road bikes. I know. Same with mountain bikes, dude. I mean, if you look at if you look at the World Cup cross country mountain bikes from ten years ago, we're talking about like twenty six inch hardtails with no droppers versus twenty nine or full suspensions with droppers. Like yeah. they've gotten heavier, but like they're better. You know, they're sacrificing weight in order to go faster on other parts of the course, you know? Yeah, for sure. Dude, one thing I noticed at Snowshoe, and then we can wrap up. Um, the amount Do we of have any more questions or no? Yeah, there's one more question, actually. All right, finish Snowshoe your thoughts, Scott, question, then we'll do it. And then. The amount of feet. I didn't realize that they were taking that many feeds. The pit uh, was, like, insane. It was, like... Way more, it looked way more complicated than a cross race. Like Blevins was switching sunglasses every every lap. <laughs> he was. I just on, honestly, I don't think I would have used glasses for that race. Nobody. Um. He. I don't well, know, but maybe yeah, but if you're on, if you're in the group though, you. I don't know. I, I, I feel like that, it's fine not to use glasses until it gets bad enough where your eyes are like full of dirt and you can't literally can't. Yeah. See. It's like. Fine sure. until it's I did a gravel race last weekend without glasses, and it took me like four days to get all the dirt out of my eyes. It sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a similar experience at Unbound actually because I had to take off my glasses at points because it was raining so hard. Um, so yeah, Scott, I mean, were, I were you saying that though? Because like, like you never did any feeds. Like, are you were you just surprised that they were even like switching like switching bottles and stuff that often i don't know it was just something i noticed that they're just i mean if you watch world cup cross country racing it's like there's like two pits per lap and a lap yeah, like it's like almost like you don't even need a bottle minutes. cage you just take you just suck yeah, it down on sure. the pit and it's, toss it every lap yeah a lot of times they'll do that yeah yeah i mean you know I, I and you definitely don't have to take tools with you like if you have some sort of mechanical you should be close enough to to a pit that it's you know not a big deal to get to the pit and get it fixed yeah so all right i got i got another question um all right this guy asks his name's justin in a race how often do you guys ride off feel versus what your bike computer tells you like power data or average speed Mm. i think scott and i would have different answers on this i don't think i've ever (laughs) (laughs) raised off of what my computer says in any scenario ever i I don't think oh maybe maybe like the joe martin time trial 
right. I'll ride all the power, <laughs> like, and that's, that's just a, to make that's sure, an like, I don't TT, do right. Yeah, that's just to make sure I don't do like 600 watts for the first three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so and then um, once you're once you're two or three minutes into it, it's like, all right, I'm just yeah. going as hard as I can to the top. Sure. So yeah. So uh, for me, it completely depends on the race. Uh, if it's like a cross country mountain bike race, I'm probably not looking at it very much at all. I haven't done a cross country mountain bike race in a while, but um, like for example, at Sea Otter this year, which was three hours you know, basically like a long cross country mountain bike race, like old school style cross country mountain bike race. I don't think I looked at it that much. I I would glance down at it, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was pacing off of what my computer said. Um, in general, I I do sometimes look at my heart rate to make sure, because there is a point at which like, for example, if my heart rate is getting into the one eighties, I'm going to blow up soon. So I would look down at it to see like, okay, am I, I'm at 177. Okay, that's that's good. That's sustainable. 180. I need to I need to do something about this. This is not sustainable. Uh, and then there are races where I'm completely reliant on it. Like Unbound this year. I mean, I was staring at my computer so much to try to be in the right heart rate zone, be in the right power zone, and I was looking at average speed to try to maintain what I thought was going to be the winning average speed. Turns out I was completely wrong. But <laughs> yeah, you fucked that one up. but yeah i mean for unbound like dude if my if my power meter was dead on the starting line i don't know what i would have done i would have had a major freak out (laughs) versus like at sea otter like it doesn't really matter right i don't know what you i don't know what you think adam but um i would say i'm probably kind of right in the middle of you guys like most of the time i race off of feel uh, this last mm-hmm. week at that gravel race was the first time for like a longer race that I actually, I, I wouldn't say I paced myself off of power or heart rate, but I was definitely looking at it a lot more. Um, especially mm-hmm. early on when I was in the breakaway with Adam, uh, I was more conscious of it. Uh, yeah. and I would actually like sort of pace my pulls based off of power in that case. Cause like I was actually, uh, I was riding harder than I thought. And I think maybe that's part of my problem in some of the longer races in the past is like, I don't know, I just don't realize how hard I'm riding. Like it just feels fine still. So I just keep mm-hmm. riding hard. Um, so I was able to like be a little more conservative looking at power for the longer race. But I would say the same thing as you, Dylan, though, like under three hours um, or even like under for, for me, like if it's a 50 mile mountain bike race, like I'm, I'm probably not looking at anything really other than time and distance. Those are the only things that I'll like even display on my computer usually. Um, a new yeah. one for me this year actually is displaying tire pressure because I got those uh, uh, quark mm. tire pressure gauges or whatever. Oh, um, really? Yeah, that, and that's actually your been... tire pressure change a lot throughout a race? No, but sometimes, like, you don't know if you, like, got a flat or something. So, like, it's just a mm. peace of mind. Like, there have been times where, like, my rear tire feels kind of squishy and I'm, like, mm-hmm. checking down on it or something like that or kind of worried about it. Uh, and it's just nice to, like, get through, like, a technical section and be like, okay, still got, you know, 34 PSI. We're good. Um, so I guess just, that's something that I've, that I've displayed on my computer, uh, since I got those. So Um, I've never used the tire whiz, but they give you, they give you information about what the optimal tire pressure is. Is that correct? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't use it for that. (laughs) I just want to make sure I don't got a flat. (laughs) You just use it to make sure you don't have a flat. Yeah. Okay. 
If they do, that'd be cool. I, I should figure out how to do that, I guess. I think they do, man. I think that's okay. like their main purpose. Um, but at a race like Leadville, it could be a, it could be a big factor um, for a couple reasons. One, tire pressure will probably change three mm-hmm. psi, I would guess, from the morning to like the heat of the day at higher elevation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, it's it's good to kind of confirm that and 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 just just so you know that whatever you're feeling is like actually take you know, like the you know true in your tires or whatever. Um, but otherwise, like yeah, I mean, shorter races. Sometimes, like, if it's a cross-country race, I only display time. Mm. Like, I don't even care how long I'm going because it's it's all time-based. Or, cro- or cross races, for sure, I only only display time. Mm-hmm. But the tire was, I, I, w- I think that could be useful for cross. Yeah, I mean, tire pressure matters a lot for cross, so. Yeah. Oh, interesting stuff, yeah. And I don't, I don't, like, pace my nutrition or anything off of anything other than time. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't look at the KJs or anything like that and be like, oh, you know, this hour was yeah, seven hundred KJs. Right. There are people that look at KJs a lot, especially in training. I know. I'm not. I don't really look at KJs to be honest with you, but I know that there's some people that are like, they're not. Their ride isn't done until they hit two thousand KJs or whatever. Right. <laughs> Scott's like. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's like my my ride is done when I get back to my house. <laughs> yeah, you're not going out for uh, neighborhood laps to get your last hundred kjs. No, <laughs> I I love doing uh, 99 mile rides or like 199 kilometer rides or something. That does that does get people on Strava worked up. Yeah, yeah. like 99.8 miles or something. <laughs> uh so so next week i was thinking we could we could kind of do like a leadville preview show be kind of fun sure should we bring on a guest yeah because scott you won't be here right no i'll probably i mean yeah probably just plan on me not being here yeah so yeah we'll work on getting a guest for next week and do some leadville preview talk be fun dope all right if there's somebody who you really want to hear talk about Leadville, let us know and we'll see if we can get them on. Yep. And you'll be there, Dylan. So maybe there's even someone who's already in town that we could get on and yep. go over to the house and record with you. Yeah, sure. All right. See you guys. See ya. See ya.